0: What is going on, everybody? You are back on the Coach's Corner here, presented by Arrowhead Live. We got a great episode planned here for you today. I'm joined, as always, by my guy, Caleb. Caleb, what's going on?
1: Hey, Justin. What's going on, man? Uh, I think we're about to have ourselves a very interesting episode today. Uh, I think everyone's going to really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the reason for that is we have a special guest with us today today. His name is Matthew Collar. He is from the Purple Insider, and we're pumped to have you, Matt. How's it going? Appreciate you being here.
2: Uh, everything's going really well. I am glad to be on with you guys.
0: Awesome. So we had to bring an NFC guy in, you know, so he's, he he talks about Minnesota Vikings. We need to get the NFC perspective, and what we're going to do today is is we're going to kind of talk about the NFC so we did an episode a little while back that you should go check out and we kind of broke down our favorite teams in the AFC and we're going to do the exact same thing today with the NFC kind of like a power ranking type thing and, and might as well get started and we'll start right with you Matt since you're the guest who is the best team going to be in the NFC for the 2020 season.
2: Okay, so everything with predictions here has to come with, you know, like if their quarterback stays healthy and doesn't get COVID, right? Um, I think, and I guess there's another asterisk here to put on it with franchise tag drama. Tell me if this is a hot take. I think the Dallas Cowboys could be the best team In the entire NFC. Last year, they were extreme underachievers for how good they were. If you look at their point differential, they should have been like an 11-win team, one of the most explosive offenses in the entire NFL, which I think they could continue doing. But their kicking was terrible. Their punting was terrible. Their special teams coverage was awful. And their coaching decisions were very, very bad as well. But when you look at what Dak Prescott has to work with here, starting in the backfield with Ezekiel Elliott, but the weapons now are out of this world with the Mari Cooper resigning and them getting CD lamb, who I could see stepping in right away and being a huge impact player, even with the limited offseason that a lot of these teams has had. And uh, I think that they've got a, a, enough talent on the defensive side to be serviceable, but they could end up with the best offense in the NFC. And when you look at recent history, Go back the last five, seven years and aside from that one Denver team that won in 2015, I mean, you can't find too many teams that make the Super Bowl that didn't have a number one, two, or three offense in scoring. So I, I'm I'm thinking that Dallas is going to be the best offensive team in the NFC and that they have a, a good chance to to go pretty far. Um, I, I mean, I know that we don't like Dallas. Like nobody likes Dallas and nobody likes when Dallas is great, but Just looking at what they have on their roster, and there's enough pieces still on that offensive line to protect Dak Prescott, I think that they have a chance to be a 12- or 13-win team.
0: I think that's super interesting because I I have Dallas in my top seven. I think they're a playoff team. I'm not sure if they sneak in my top five, but I'm in the camp of, I think that Dak Prescott is a quarterback who's routinely – um, not regarded as highly as he should be. But, uh, Caleb, what about, what about you? You got Dallas as, as a top five team for the NFC?
1: I do not have Dallas in my top five, nor do I even have them in my top seven teams. And, Matt, I'll be honest with you, man. Last season, my Super Bowl prediction was the Dallas Cowboys versus the Kansas City Chiefs. I was half correct on that one. But here's why I am just not real sold on Dallas as a team right now. And I'm still really not sold on what they're doing. Yes, they've got Jason Garrett's out of the equation. They got Mike McCarthy in there. Is he really going to make that much more of a difference? A guy who has been reported to be feuding with Aaron Rodgers for his entire career, is that guy going to be really the difference maker that can get through to these guys? Um, And like you say, back to the COVID thing, are they taking it really seriously? I mean, we heard reports those guys are throwing a party, and then all of a sudden – it comes out that Zeke and a couple of those other guys test positive down there for the virus. Well, that would knock them out of maybe two or three football games, at least right there during the season. So looking at it, I do think it is a valid point. They have a lot of weapons. There's someone that has to show me something. He's got to show everybody something because right now, Dak Prescott, is looking like one of the most overrated players in all of football, the way he is asking for money with his contract situation. All right, you want this money, Dak? You go out there and earn this season. Go win 12 regular season games. Go out there and prove it to us. But right now, the Cowboys haven't proven anything. I don't really like the direction their offensive line is heading. It's starting to deteriorate as they get older, and I'd be interested to see how Zeke's body holds up or towards the end of the season.
2: Okay. The offensive line point, I agree with the other ones. I, I don't know. I mean, Mike McCarthy may have feuded with Aaron Rodgers, but they certainly won a heck of a lot of football games together. So that's, I mean, part one for me is McCarthy's also had some time to step back and reevaluate some of the things that we've done. And y- you mentioned Kansas City. Andy Reid is a good example of a coach who changed Uh, situations from being very good in Philadelphia and then even grew later in his career as a head coach when he went to his second location and ultimately won the Super Bowl and now the COVID point I I have no idea right I don't think any of us do of how things are going to play out if Zeke is going to be 100% healthy because of that it sounds like he's still having some problems but we're still also a ways away from the start of the season I look at Dak Prescott and say, this is a guy that last year led the best offense in the NFL when it came to yards per play. And it was really not even close. Like now, if Mahomes had played those other couple of games, maybe it would have been closer, but 6.5 yards per play. The next best was 6.2, which is not a small difference when you look at where everybody else is. Uh, I mean, mid-pack teams last year were averaging a yard less per play than the Dallas Cowboys offense. And whether uh, uh, Dak Prescott could be a winner, I mean – this guy already won 13 games once in his career when he had a, a top-notch team. And if I recall, in the playoffs, led what would have been a game-winning drive, but Aaron Rodgers just Aaron Rodgers to him. So I, I look at Prescott as someone who has proven that he can lead a winning team and he, ha- and he can lead an elite offense. And if their defense can hang on just enough, uh, plus look at the division that you're talking about here. I don't believe in any of these teams in this division. I don't believe in Philadelphia. Can Wentz even stay healthy for the entire season? The Giants, I can't see them being good. Dwayne Haskins doesn't have a whole heck of a lot to work with uh, for the Washington Football Club. So, I mean, just based on that, they could get a number of wins in the NFC East, uh, so long as Mike McCarthy, I I guess, can manage games even slightly better than Jason Garrett did last year.
0: And that's my point, too, about the Dak Prescott thing. I think that when I said he's routinely underrated is that, you know, Matt, just, you just spouted out all the stats there. And, and I don't think people understand truly how good he is. Now, I, I think that the offensive side of the ball could be there defensively. I think they're coming around. They did just lose Byron Jones, which, you know, in an NFL that we are living in today, you've got to be able to defend the pass. So that could end up being a massive, massive loss for them. And, and the team that I think that in the NFC – you know, I, I could see Dallas making the, the the championship game, but the team that I think that they would face most likely is the New Orleans Saints. And that's who I think the best team in the NFC is right now. And I think it a lot of it just boils down to Drew Brees going to be the last ride. It's kind of now or never. They've had some very disappointing losses in the playoffs lately, namely to the Minnesota Vikings, um, where they've had some heartbreaks. You know, everybody has seen that. And I think that they bring back a lot of their key players, Um, I think Breeze is on his last rung and he kind of knows it and it's kind of do or die for these New Orleans, New Orleans Saints team. So uh, there's a team that I I would expect to be right there. They're in the mix every single year. Sean Payton's one of the best head coaches in football and he's going to have them ready. And I think that there's something to be said with everything that's going on that a a guy like Breeze isn't going to need a ton of reps to be where he normally is as far as his elite, a passing ability, Right the rest might actually be okay for him because he is a little bit older in age. So I think they'll be right there. Where do you got the Saints, Caleb? Where do you see them falling in this NFC ranking?
1: All right. So for New Orleans, I have them down as my second best team. And like you said, this is going to be Drew Brees' last chance. This is the last dance for him. They've got talent all over the field, just ready to go. But the thing that it's going to come down to this year because let's be honest, the Saints are probably going to win around that 10 to 12 regular season games and make the playoffs. Like you just said, though, Drew Brees isn't going to need a ton of reps. Their offensive line is going to be good. Michael Thomas is a star. I mean, that right there is a mismatch nightmare. And Then they're going to have Alvin Kamara as their changeup guy out of the backfield. Their defense should be just as solid as it was last year. But can they get over the hump that they were not quite able to get over last season. I think that it's gonna come down to the performance up front, cause in that uh wildcard game versus the Vikings last year, their offensive line played very poor, which is uncharacteristic of them. They let Larry Warford go. They draft Caesar Ruiz in the first round, who I had ranked as the best interior offensive lineman in the draft. I don't know if he'll be a plug-and-play guy because of the adjustments that'll have to be made with COVID, but I think they'll see him in there later at some point, but if those guys up front can continue to create the pocket around Breeze and give him time to connect to Thomas on those slant routes and then still be able to find Kamara out of the backfield, they're going to be in the same place they've been the last three years offensively. It's just going to come down to that situational football. Is Sean Payton going to show us that he's the Super Bowl winning coach that we saw nearly a decade ago? win the actual whole thing or is it going to come down to what it's been the last few seasons where it's just been disappointment after disappointment i still think they're the se- I, I still have them as the second best team in the league in the nfc and i'll stick by that throughout the season because at the end of the day drew Brees is a hall of famer michael thomas looks and michael thomas looks like he's on hall of fame track
0: Okay, so if he's if he's if they're their second best team, I'm going to guess that there's a team that was in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs that you might have as your first team. And that's the San Francisco 49ers. Now, Matt, when you look at the 49ers, they're a tremendous football team. But I think that everybody saw in the Super Bowl, there's one big hole that they kind of have. And that's probably Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo. Do you think that the 49ers, are they in your top five? Are they going to be a team that's able to repeat the season that they had this past year?
2: And am I going to be like the Jimmy Garoppolo apologist here on the show? I mean, G- Jimmy is certainly taking a beating this offseason for a guy who had his team up 20 to 10 in the Super Bowl and has started his career 21 and 5 as a starter and beat Drew Brees in the Superdome. 48 to 46 and then he had to win on week 17 against russell wilson and he found a way to do it and this guy is being talked about as if he's like not a good quarterback and i i will say that anybody that thinks that kyle shanahan elevates quarterbacks i totally agree but once upon a time he won like a couple games with brian hoyer as his quarterback so you have to actually be good at quarterbacking to uh, take your team to the Super Bowl and have a lead. And, hey, San Francisco, get a stop on Patrick Mahomes on, what was it, third and 15 or whatever, and maybe maybe you've got a shot there. And maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is being talked about as being a lot better. Uh, that's kind of amazing to me. But, yeah, I mean, bo- both the teams that you guys have talked about, I have in my top five also with the Saints and, and the 49ers. I might have the 49ers a little lower than uh, either first or second, because I think that just there's some natural regression that happens. Uh, look at teams that have recently gone to the Super Bowl. The following season, Atlanta, for example, 2016 is an unbelievable team on offense. And then the next year they lose Kyle Shanahan and they slip back a little bit. So the 49ers will still have some continuity there, of course, but I think that there is a lot that a team goes through when they have to play that many football games, they get to the Super Bowl, and even the Patriots, like back-to-back years, we very rarely have seen, if ever, seen them go back-to-back Super Bowls, um, at least to win them. So. You know, that's uh, that is a really tough task. And losing Emmanuel Sanders, I think, does matter for the 49ers in terms of their weapons. Debo Samuel being hurt and having his offseason set back. Uh, That also could be a little bit problematic for them, but the amount of talent that they have on the defensive line is not going anywhere. And I think when you do have a quarterback that executes the offense as well as Jimmy Garoppolo does in working with Kyle Shanahan that, yeah, you are going to be still one of the top teams. But when we look at that division, that NFC West, I think, is crazy hard with an emerging Arizona team, Russell Wilson, and you still have Sean McVay and a Rams team that's got enough talent to be competitive. So I have them more in the like fourth or fifth in the NFC, and I, I totally agree with New Orleans that um, until Tom Brady goes to Tampa and makes it Tampa Bay, um, I, I think New Orleans is still king there
0: yeah the super Bowl loss hangover is definitely real if you look at the uh the years past where the team that loses the super Bowl is usually a team that regresses like you said that that is definitely a real thing um i think that the the big thing there that you mentioned too was the um debo injury his foot injury that could be absolutely very serious um where it's actually taken full seasons for players to return from that foot injury so that's definitely something that the Niners fans are going to want and monitor in the offseason because it's it's definitely no joke um but let, let's keep moving on here I think that you know the third team where we just talked about how tough that NFC West division is my third team is actually the Seattle Seahawks and I think this is a team that I probably could look back at and go what in the world was I thinking Because I think that um, Russell Wilson is probably the next best quarterback in the NFL after Patrick Mahomes. But he does play in an offense that is very frustrating to watch if you're somebody who likes the ball to be thrown in the air. Because they want to run the football, um, which is just seems to be not the most modern way to win football games. If you look at most of the successful teams outside, like maybe the Baltimore Ravens, who are running just a completely different style of offense with a different, completely different style of quarterback. Um, Most teams that are successful are throwing the football and they throw it early. And the Seahawks tend to just throw the ball on first and second down. But I, I think Russell Wilson is just so good. He pulls that team along kicking and screaming sometimes um, and does great things that I think they're going to be super competitive. And they always are. Carroll seems how seems to pull out wins out of nowhere for some reason. Um, but I have the Seahawks there. Now, now, Matt, when you look at the Seattle Seahawks, is this, is, is this when we look back at this, maybe even midway through the year, is everybody going to go, wow, uh, Justin, that was a really bad call?
2: Uh, maybe because this roster has deteriorated, especially on the defensive side over the past few years, but this might be the best group of weapons that Russell Wilson has to throw to in quite some time that they've built it up with DK Metcalf going into his second year. Tyler Lockett is maybe the most underappreciated wide receiver in the entire NFL and uh, they also added uh, Philip Dorsett, right, from um, who was with uh, the uh, New England Patriots. So much has happened since March that my brain is a little scrambled on free agent signings. But but they, they actually have a lot of people for him to throw to. They still, in my mind, have not upgraded the offensive line enough for me to say, oh, they're going to dominate uh, you know, in the run game as they had with Marshawn Lynch. But even then, they're always able to at least be efficient enough in the run game to almost justify how much they run. I I tend to agree with you that the offense is antiquated, but I also watch them absolutely steamroll the Minnesota Vikings with running. So I kind of hesitate with that a little bit. I don't have them as one of my top teams. But I also agree if you're going to pick games, if you're going to pick teams, if you just start with the quarterback, you're going to be right a lot. And sometimes we get so caught up in the weeds with, you know, Seattle played three linebackers too often last year. I don't know what they're doing. And then we miss the forest through the trees. And the big picture here is you do have a top three quarterback in the entire NFL who rarely misses the playoffs. And even when they did miss the playoffs a couple of years ago, they were within one field goal of, of making it that year. Um, So I, I, I I like Seattle as they could probably be a little better than the uh, accumulation of their roster because of who their quarterback is, but I'm skeptical. And I will tell you why, because I actually have on my list, the Arizona Cardinals as being one of the top teams. So I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical of Seattle because I think that Arizona is about to make things really difficult in that division.
1: You know, uh. Matt, at the same time you say that with Seattle, I was having trouble in my head putting Seattle up high. The only reason I ended up doing it is because I do think that Russell Wilson has the it factor to be able to improvise, and I do like some of the targets they've went out and got him. But at the same time, I can't do it just because Pete Carroll doesn't show me really any offensive innovations. Because you go look at the 49ers, well, they run the ball. Well, how do they run the ball? They run their motions. They run their motion cuts with their fullbacks and Kittle motioning, use check, and those guys motioning around. When you see the way the Seahawks like to run the ball, they just do mostly a common type of either a zone run or an ISO or a duo out of, you know, kind of a stagnant formation. There's not a lot going on. And then you get down to the Arizona Cardinals. I think that's awesome because I think that is a team that has the big names on offense to really draw attention to them being competitors. And I think that they have the substance on defense right now to be a team that I have as a team that I think is potentially going to end up making the wild card. As you look at some of this talent, they have Kyler Murray's arm is absolutely electric. That guy He makes up for every bit of the lack of height that he has. Um, I think Kenyon Drake is bound to have a good season now that he's finally in a stable environment. DeAndre Hopkins is, as we all know, a very special receiver. They have a living legend in Larry Fitzgerald, and then you go to their defense. They have another Hall of Fame caliber player in Patrick Peterson on there. They have Chandler Jones, who has been one of the most underrated, consistent pass rushers even since his days with the Patriots, he had, I believe, 18 sacks last year. They have Jordan Phillips, their nose tackle. He's one of the most underrated defensive linemen in the NFL right now. He goes about six foot six, about 345 pounds. He racked up nine and a half sacks last year. Teams are having a hard time running the ball. The only thing that makes me hesitant to put the Cardinals so high on that list is how is the offense going to be able to form together? How are they going to be able to mold? And are we going to see that chemistry pop out right away? I think Kyler Murray has the talent. I also think that adding Isaiah Simmons to their defense through the draft was one of the biggest steals I've seen in recent memory to watch him fall that far. Cause I think that guy is going to be a plug and play and they're going to be able to move him around the field, the different positions, but I don't know if the chemistry will be there early on, especially without the OTAs and those kind of sessions like that, and we'll see what goes on with training camp, but I think that this is a team that we can see get hot around late to middle of the season, and I think that they will be competing for a playoff spot by the time everything is said and done.
2: It is a really young team, uh, Arizona still, so I, I can see where you would question whether they could take that next step. I just think that they sort of profile as that team that shows us that they're ready a little bit earlier than everybody expects. When you look at a lot of the Great quarterbacks, and I think Murray actually has the potential to be a great quarterback. They usually take a big step in that second year. The first year is usually rough. It's a bad team. It's you know going through the NFL Combine and all that sort of stuff, and then having to learn an NFL offense. But something that uh, Derek Klassen, who writes for Football Outsiders, pointed out to me watching Kyler Murray tape was how quickly he gets through his reads from one side of the field to the other, and can flip his feet around and make a strong throw that. I mean, that for a young quarterback to do it at that level is pretty rare. And you mentioned his arm talent is just out of this world, his playmaking as well. I I just think he's got all those signs of a guy who takes it to the next level. And we all go, wow, Arizona was better before we all thought they were going to. So that's that's the one, Justin, that might blow up in my face. But I'm going to roll with it and, and say that I even think that they could win that division.
0: Well the thing that you just pointed out to me about you know Russell Wilson is sometimes you just you overthink it and then you just look at the quarterback start at the quarterback and I I think you guys kind of nailed it with with Kyler Murray as somebody that is right on the cusp of being an absolute superstar in this league. I write a weekly um, article for Arrowhead Live the Power Rankings Digest and I did a quarterback ranking and I had him at 11th and I was tempted to even put him even higher. And I I had some people that thought that, you know, in in his second year that that might've been a little too high, but I I believe in his talent so much. Um, If you, if you watch him, he has one of the best arm talent in the NFL. And I'm not talking just, you know, arm talent is more than just throwing the ball hard um, for everyone listening. Arm talent is the ability to throw from different platforms and be accurate at multiple levels on the field, and, and when you watch him, he has all that. Now, that being said, I do not have them as, as one of my top teams, and you know, one of the other teams that we have not talked about yet, which I'm kind of shocked about, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I do think that they're going to be a team that we're going to see as a top five team. I have them as my fourth-ranked team in the NFC right now, um, and that is because, one, they're they're loaded on the outside with – just even if you just look at the two guys out there and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, I think that Chris Godwin, if all you fantasy guys out there, I think Chris Godwin is going to absolutely eat in this offense with Tom Brady. He is uberly more talented and athletic than a Julian Edelman who, who thrived with Tom Brady. Um, he is going to have the middle of the field open. You know, there's going to be Gronk there. There's going to be Evans. You to be able you know, the question is, does Tom Brady have enough left in the tank to make this team competitive? Because there's t- people out there saying this is a Super Bowl team. Now, maybe, but I, I could, I think they're going to be a playoff team. I don't know about Super Bowl. Matt, you got them. You got them in your ranking.
2: I-, I do. And I'm a little concerned that I'm going to have like more than five teams in my top five, but uh, that's the NFC for you. I-, I do because of the roster. This is a roster that is, is it hyperbolic to say twice as good as New England last year? I mean, New England on defense, of course, was very good. But on the offensive side of the ball, I don't think it's crazy to say that they're twice as good as what the Patriots were, and when you go back and of course, all of us saw a lot of Tom Brady not looking like the old Tom Brady last year, but Sam Monson of Pro Football focused in kind of a deep dive on Brady's last season, and I thought it was really interesting that he just showed how often Tom Brady's wide receivers let him down, and I remember specifically maybe it was against Kansas City or Houston, I think it was against Houston where Brady went off schedule a little bit and he was trying to signal to his receiver to go up the field and his receiver just looked at him like a deer in the headlights. And he threw it 20 yards away from his receiver and look, and Brady was like, really guy, you can't figure that out. I don't think he's going to have those problems with Chris Godwin and with Mike Evans. And we know what kind of chemistry he has with Gronk. If Gronk gives them nine games their, their offense is going to be amazing. I think if it's anything like the old Gronk, if it's 75% of old Gronk for nine games, that offense is still going to be pretty incredible. And I, I think that uh, people talk a lot about no risk it, no biscuit with Bruce Arians and throwing down the field. But another part of that offense is it usually leaves checkdowns and underneath stuff wide open when they're running guys vertical. That's where I think Brady could absolutely pick teams apart because we criticize checkdown quarterbacks Tom Brady is like the best check down quarterback in the history of planet earth and has gained so many yards just checking down because people are afraid of his arm talent and, and throwing down the field in his best days. Of course, um, but but I think that that could work really favorably for him is getting guys in open space and creating a lot of yards after catch with shorter throws and then all he has to do is let it rip a couple times a game and you know what Mike Evans is going to do if you throw it down the sideline to him so yeah I mean I think it as long as Brady is at least the version that he was last year I think you're looking at a really really good team I still have them second in the NFC South but a potential Super Bowl contender.
1: I think that uh, Tampa Bay is going to be in a dogfight with New Orleans for that one C or for the to win the NFC South, and I think you guys have all made excellent points about the outside talent and him being able to throw the ball and being able to work with Bruce Arians, where I think he will see a bigger improvement on the roster, a very big improvement. I won't. I don't want to say it's bigger than some of that receiver talent because Mike Evans, you know. That guy's a special player out there. But where I think he's going to see a lot of help in Tampa is along that offensive line because they have Ryan Jensen, who is probably at least a top-five center in the NFL. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know who he is, when Joe Flacco – and when he played for Baltimore and Joe Flacco got blindsided – by Kiko Alonso in that Thursday night football game. That was Ryan Jensen that came in and gave him the business. So he's going to be protected up front by that crazy, by that crazy person there. But also they drafted who I had ranked as the best offensive lineman in the draft this past year, Tristan Worfs from the University of Iowa. I think he's an immediate day one starter at left tackle. They have Ollie Marpet. Will be playing guard next to him. He's a he's a D three guy who is just a phenomenal athlete. He can pass protect and do everything well. So I think that he's really going to have that help up front that he's going to need to be able to help him either a give him time to get his guys and Gronk open downfield or guys that are going to be smart enough to pick up blitzes so he can throw that quick check down because you know a lot of that. I think that having a good center is going to be something that helps Tom Brady out also because he's going to have somebody there to be able to help him communicate because, I mean, he's going to be the main guy communicating in the offense, but to have a guy like Jensen who's going to be able to see the same stuff he does and pick up on the same stuff he does and get them thinking on the same level, I think that those two can have tremendous amounts of chemistry but then you look at the defensive side of the ball in Tampa Bay. Shaq Barrett led the NFL in sacks last year. You know, he just got tagged. He's going to be another guy who I think, again, has a big season at his edge position. They have Vita Vea. He's a very good defensive tackle. Um, their secondary and linebacker play, it's pretty good. It's not great, it's pretty good. So I can see them being a team that has the firepower to compete with the saints in that division. But I think for the NFC South kind of contest where we could see a potential one seed out of the NFC, I think it's going to come down to uh, Sean Payton's coaching versus Bruce Arians coaching. And I really do think it will be interesting to see if Brady does have the arm strength to be able to challenge teams deep, like he wants to, And likewise, will the Saints be able to find a way to overcome? So those will be two big storylines. But I had Tampa Bay as ranked as my number three team in the NFC.
0: Yeah, the Bucks are a team too that, if you saw towards the end of last year, their defense actually started playing a little bit better. Um, they they incorporated a couple of rookies into their secondary. Sean Murphy Button was one of them, and I thought he actually played very very well down the stretch for them at cornerback. And you know, I think in the division, especially that they play in, um, you know, with the Atlanta Falcons with the New Orleans Saints, you you need to be able to defend the pass. So that's going to be a massive part of whether or not they're going to be able to come out of that that conference but in in a different conference now we haven't even named one team yet and that would be the nfc north and i think that's where my fifth team comes in and that is the minnesota vikings now matt you're going to be able to give us some good insight on this one because i got some questions about your vikings now um but first one is 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 how bad is the loss of Stefan Diggs for Kirk Cousins and how much we're we going to see that impact and because, you know, I think that Mike Zimmer is actually a coach that is another guy that we kind of talked about underrated people today. And he's one of the people that I think is one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL. Um, he seems to just get the job done. His defenses are always tremendous. Um, but I think that Diggs might hurt. Kirk Cousins a little bit on that offensive side of the ball and they lost their offensive coordinator Kevin Stavansky to the Cleveland Browns who is now their new head coach who did a tremendous job implementing that wide zone offense um, got Delvin Cook working and then they were able to you know work with Adam Thielen and Diggs on the outside so there's a little hole left on there on the outside of the offensive side of the ball for them.
2: Yeah, there's no question, Justin, that losing Stephon Diggs, even though they were super thrilled to get Justin Jefferson and they will tell you all day long that they would have drafted him number one overall in the draft if they had had the chance to. And and I believe that Justin Jefferson has great talent and what he did last year at LSU helped Joe Burrow become the number one overall pick. But here's a stat for you with Stephon Diggs. Now think about the quarterbacks that he's had goes from Teddy Bridgewater to Sam Bradford to Case Keenum to Kirk Cousins. So it's been a merry-go-round of quarterbacks. This is a PFF stat here. When throwing to Stefan Diggs, the accumulation of those quarterbacks had a 108.4 rating over his career, basically a full season's worth of throws in his direction, 32 touchdowns, 13 picks. I mean, this guy is a kingmaker when it comes to getting open. He can do absolutely anything. He could be your slot receiver underneath. He could be your deep receiver like he was last year, averaged 18 yards a catch last season. I mean, there are very few players who can run routes and get open as routinely as him. And oh, by the way, he's one of the best in the NFL when it comes to contested catches too. So just Adding Justin Jefferson, a rookie, we'll see. Last year, I think one rookie ended up over 1,000 yards, so it's not easy to be a rookie in the NFL. That is a significant loss for them. Now, Adam Thielen is still really, really good, and when he's been targeted a ton in past years over 100 times, he's still had great seasons. Last year, he's banged up. He doesn't have uh, the counting numbers, but he showed you in the playoffs that in big situations, Kirk Cousins can count on throwing the ball down the field to Adam Thielen. It's still a huge loss, though. I mean, they were a team that every year you went into the season, you knew that you had the best receiver combination in the NFL, if not top three, and now you don't know what you have, aside from Adam Thielen. If Irv Smith steps up, then you might have something special there. If Justin Jefferson is great right away, you might have something special there, but we don't really know yet, and the number three receiver is BC Johnson, a seventh-round pick from last year who, you know, stepped in and did okay, but... Doesn't have explosive traits, if you will, where you're talking about someone who's going to be a massive difference maker. I'm not even sure Tajay Sharp makes the roster. Chad Beebe is after that. And then the offensive line has simply not been improved. I mean, they draft Ezra Cleveland in the second round. Unlikely that he's going to start, especially with this offseason. Your tackles are the same. I don't know who the starting guards are at this moment. And if Garrett Bradbury doesn't take a massive leap forward in pass protection, you're going to end up with a lot of the same problems. In this division, if you ask me to put money down on it, I probably say the Packers. I know they had an abysmal draft, but they still have all the pieces from last year that went 13 and three and beat the Vikings twice. So I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical that the Vikings can win the division. I think that they're happy this year there's seven playoff teams.
1: Matt, uh, might I ask you a question real quick? Um, before the Kansas City Chiefs were getting ready to play the Vikings without Mahomes this year, there was a player who I was worried about, and it wasn't somebody we mentioned here. The guy who I was concerned about the Kansas City Chiefs tried to stop was Dalvin Cook, because I think that he is has been a phenomenal player for them for the past few seasons, and I really think that with their play-action game, like you said, Stefanski helped that offense find efficient ways to be able to get their guys open and help Cousins out. If you see what he said about the play-action passing and cousins doing better off of that. I think you have to attribute some of that to Dalvin Cook's ability to run the ball, especially since that off last season, especially, but since that offensive line, I would describe them as average at best. I think that cook carried a lot of water on the offense last year. Oh, how do you see the team being impacted by his contract situation headed into camp. And what do you see as the overall outcome for that?
2: So the last time that I talked to someone in the know about the Delvin cook situation, I got both. I think something gets done and we're really far away. (laughs) So uh, I'm not sure where to stand and these next two weeks are going to really tell us now. This is one where I go back and forth on because Delvin cook is special. Uh, With the football, him and Saquon Barkley, I think, are on a different level of making people miss, breaking tackles, getting yards after catch, making something out of nothing, and, and not having negative runs. I can't remember many times at all that I saw Delvin Cook get tackled behind the line of scrimmage because he would make zero runs into two yards or negative threes into zeros and things like that. And then where he was such a huge deal for them was in the screen game last year. Kirk Cousins throwing behind the line of scrimmage averaged eight yards per pass attempt. <laughs> when do we ever see that? I mean, that really tells you about his ability to get a little space and make a lot out of not much. And if they don't have that, you know, I think Alexander Madison, their backup running back, is a tremendous talent. Uh, and he averaged 4.6 yards carry last year. And Mike Boone is a special athlete who's just sort of figuring out how to play football. And even he averaged, I think, 4.9 or something like that, or, or, or even over five. I think those two together, that that was the stat, that Madison and Boone averaged 4.9 yards per carry uh, when either of them touched the ball. So. It tells you that they still have talent behind Delvin Cook, but it's not as easy to replace as the internet makes it seem all the time. And I do believe that what you said is accurate, that every defensive coordinator goes into a game saying, the guy we have to stop is Delvin Cook. We cannot allow Delvin Cook to run over us. That will not be the case. If it's Mike Boone and Alexander Madison in the backfield, they will focus much more And where I think you would see schematically The biggest difference is defensive ends and outside linebackers coming upfield at Kirk Cousins on, on bootlegs. Because last year I saw a lot of defensive ends freeze because they thought if Delvin's got the ball and he cuts back, he could go 75 yards But certain teams were more aggressive with their outside linebackers and defensive ends coming upfield, expecting the bootleg. And that really threw some things off, especially when the Packers did it twice against them with Zadarius and Preston Smith. So, you know, I think it's really something to watch for sure over these next couple of weeks. But I also look at the Vikings recent history and you'd have to hunt for somebody that they didn't pay. Over the uh, that they've liked, right? I mean, they very rarely let people go until their primes were over like Xavier Rhodes and Linval Joseph, but they re-signed Anthony Barr. They brought back, you know, they kept Daniil Hunter. They kept uh, Stephon Diggs. They brought back Kyle Rudolph on a a, a reworked contract. They've always found ways to get these things done. And I think that that's what ultimately happens with Delvin Cook. But if he is not there and he's pulling a Le'Veon Bell or a Melvin Gordon... I think that there's more impact than some people want to say when we talk about running backs.
1: Yeah. And I think I go back thinking about that. Justin and I, we talk about on this show all the time. Does your quarterback have the it factor? And there's times where I cannot tell personally, if Kirk cousins has the it factor. And I did have Minnesota as my fourth rank team, just because I think they have a solid roster with good coaching around them. But if they don't end up having Cook for an extended period of time, we're going to find out very quickly whether Kirk Cousins has it. Because, you know, Kansas City, we went from seeing a guy like Alex Smith, who I think has very similar traits to Kirk Cousins, not saying they're bad players, but do they carry the same amount of talent or playmaking that the Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson's and Kyler Murray's of the league's half. And the answer is no. So I think that we're going to find out very quickly what Kirk Cousins is about. And I think that if he can continue to play well and hook up with Thielen, there shouldn't be any reason the Vikings aren't competing for the North again this year. But if things go bad and he doesn't play as well, without having cook out of the backfield, then I think that that might be starting to raise some questions over in your neck of the woods, bud.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree with your assessment. And I think what it is about Kirk cousins, that is the it factor is that cousins is always every bit as good as the circumstances around him. And that includes who the other team is. So Kansas city game is a great example that you went up against a Kansas City defense that had the exact antidote for – or kryptonite, I guess, for Kirk Cousins, which was Chris Jones. He was back in that game, and he just ran right through the interior of the Vikings' offensive line, which – is not any better at this moment than it was that day when they played at Kansas city and got beat by Harrison Butker and uh, Matt Moore. Right. I mean, it's in, if Kirk is playing a team, that's no good like the Detroit lions last year or the, you know, Washington or New York giants, he is going to maul them and he's going to throw for 300 yards and he's going to have 140 quarterback rating. But then he goes up against Green Bay twice, a defense that could create interior rush. And he no-shows in both of those games. It's been his entire career is like that. And if you go back to even with Washington, when he's got great weapons, Deshaun Jackson is in his prime. Pierre Garçon is very good. Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis, both very good. He's great. And he puts up huge numbers. And then... When you take those away in 2017, I think PFF had him as about the 20th best quarterback in the league in 2017 when he didn't have his weapons and a couple of his offensive line got hurt. Your point about the lack of playmaking ability, I think it's so much more. We we try to make a lot more out of it. Like you said, the it factor, does he choke, all those things, the Monday night football record. But every time you try to look into those things, you can't really put your finger on it statistically or prove it. I think that's what it really is, is that a lot of times when he plays on a national stage, if the other team is good, especially defensively, then he's going to struggle. Oftentimes when it comes to that. So, you know, that's the, the the main point that I would say would knock them down a peg is that if you look at this year's schedule, it's a lot harder than it was last year, and he doesn't have his main weapon. So as you mentioned, Justin, this puts a lot of pressure on Mike Zimmer, who is in a contract year, by the way, to take a defense that has a lot of new pieces and then all of a sudden flip them around and in a very bizarre offseason to still have an above-average defense. I think Zimmer is as good as it gets as a defensive coach in the NFL, that is a very tough task. And that's again, why I would probably pick Green Bay because they have almost all of their pieces back from a 13 win team last year. And uh, they have much more continuity on the defensive side than the Vikings do.
0: Yeah. And that's something that I find interesting too, is that Zimmer is in his contract year and we haven't seen or really heard for that matter about anything getting done anytime soon. And it's a guy that's He's won, you know. Whether you think he's been great or not, he's won. I mean, they had the the playoff game a few years ago where they couldn't make an extra point or field goal or kick or I don't even know if the kicker showed up after halftime. I mean, I it's the eye patch game there, and I keep remember remembers Zimmer standing there just with that eye patch on, and I'm like, that poor guy. Like I, as a coach, you just you feel for him. <laughs> That's just got to be brutal. So I, I find it interesting. We'll see what happens, I guess, with his with his deal, and if they're able to get something done, but. I do like the Packers call there. I do think that the, the Packers will end up being being a playoff team, and um, we're kind of winding down here on time. So I'm going to get you guys to give me your top seven. I'll give you a second here to collect it to let me know. So I'll go first, and I'll give you my top seven NFC teams, and we're going to start at the top. So my first team, like I said, is the New Orleans Saints. My second is the San Francisco 49ers. My third is the Seattle Seahawks, the one that I'm probably going to end up regretting um but we'll see what happens my faith is in russell wilson we'll see what happens uh fourth we got tampa bay buccaneers fifth we got the vikings sixth we got the cowboys and seventh we got the packers caleb why don't you give us your rundown
1: so for number one i'm gonna go with the san francisco 49ers number two the new orleans saints number three the tampa bay buccaneers number four the minnesota vikings Number five, the Seattle Seahawks, which might be hit or miss. Number six, the Green Bay Packers. And number seven, who I also have as my dark horse, as my absolute sleeper team, probably in all the NFL this year, the Arizona Cardinals.
2: Yeah. That's all uh, right, Matt. I your like turn. your list. Yeah. I, I like your list a lot, uh, Caleb. Uh, so mine, I know that, uh, except for you left off my number one team. So that's where we're kind of different here, but the rest of them, I think we're a lot on the same page. So I have Dallas as the number one team and, and Justin, that's the one that I might end up regretting. Dallas might go six and 10 and it's a total disaster. Dak Prescott is gone after this year. And I don't know, maybe Aaron Rodgers will be the quarterback in Dallas. Who the hell knows? But, uh, I'm still going to go, I believe, in offense. So I'm going to go the Dallas Cowboys are the number one team. I will take for number two, I will go with the New Orleans Saints and then Tampa Bay right after New Orleans because I think that those two are equal possible contenders. I'll say San Francisco after that, then Arizona, but I still think Arizona has a great chance to win the division. I'll go Green Bay and then Minnesota. And I'm leaving off Philly here, which I think is a very borderline team. And the darkest horse that I actually did consider, but I thought, can I really make a good case for this when Matt Patricia is their head coach? But the dark horse would be Detroit, that I think Detroit really could surprise some people with Matt Stafford coming back if he has a good season. Remember how close they were to beating Kansas City. They were really close to beating Green Bay last year, had a bad call, very close to beating Oakland uh, early when Matt Stafford was still healthy. He has excellent weapons. TJ Hawkinson could take another step. And uh, they signed a lot of people on the defensive side to give them a little more talent to work with. I did consider them, but I can't do it because they're Detroit. So that's my list.
0: I think that I actually like your two dark horse calls. You're just misses in Philadelphia and Detroit. I considered them both as well because, again, we talk about quarterbacks. I put my faith in quarterbacks. I think Carson Wetz, if he's healthy, is an absolute stud. And I think that people forget the absolute tear Matt Stafford was on last year before he went out and missed half of the year with his broken back. Uh, He was actually on pace for like 5,000 yards and 38 touchdowns. And I I think he's another quarterback that kind of gets underlooked because he's played – on some bad football teams in Detroit, and that's that's tough to get any recognition as a quarterback because usually, whether you want it or not, you're getting the praise, and whether you want it or not, you're getting the blame. So, but I think I think that'll be super interesting to see how he kind of bounces back from that injury. Um, so, a- as we just kind of close out here, uh, just want to thank Matt you for coming on. I think this was an outstanding show. Why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and all of your websites and all that good stuff.
2: Yeah. uh, So on Twitter is at Matthew Collar, which is C-O-L-L-E-R, the last name. And uh, my website is purpleinsider.com. You can go there, you can check it out. You can get on my email list to get one article a week, or you can subscribe to get all of my work. And then my podcast is called Purple Insider. So wherever you get your podcasts... And I I know that I really angle it toward Vikings fans, of course, and there's a lot of hardcore Vikings talk, but there's a lot also a lot of like NFL talk like we just did right here. So uh, if you're a hardcore NFL fan, you want to check that out as well. And I appreciate you guys very much having me on.
0: All right, Caleb, what are you working on and tell everybody where they can find you?
1: Well, first off, let me thank Matt again for coming on. We had a great conversation. You can find me on Twitter, at CJ Scoobs. Uh, be on the lookout for some of the film clips I've been putting up lately. Um, today, I just finished an article writing about the Chiefs' defensive line rotation with or without Chris Jones, so there's a couple of scenarios. I talk about some guys who would have to step up, like Mike Pinnell and Colin Saunders, and I also talk about some different schematic-wise things I could see happening without Jones, such as going with more speed rushdowns on packages where we could see potentially a Mike Dana or a Breland Speaks. And as always, I'll have the GMKC coming out on this Friday. It'll be out. And this week, you know, it's been kind of an elephant in the room on this show, but I'm going to talk about COVID and kind of how it's affected me. So far as a division two athlete and how it's affecting everybody in the sport of football all the way up the ranks from just low, lowly, lowly D2 guys like me to schools like Alabama and LSU all the way up to the NFL. So I'm going to address that. And uh, I hope that everybody is enjoying the articles in the film. Justin, what do you got coming for us, man?
0: Yeah, every week you can find uh, my article, The Power Rankings Digest. We'll have another ranking out. This past week we did uh, top... 25 fantasy running backs. Uh, might switch that over and do some uh, receiver talk with some fantasy stuff. Because, you know, with the season coming up, one of the f- most fun things you can do is, is play a little fantasy football. So we might be talking about that again. Um, but just once again, you can find me on Twitter, jdiz1617. Make sure you're checking out all of our stuff over at Arrowhead Live, all the different podcasts we got going on, all the different articles. And, uh, you know, once again, huge thanks uh, to Matt for coming on make sure you go check out all his stuff at the purple insider um give his stuff a listen he does great work over there uh love all the analytics stuff you know it's a nice mixture when we got a couple coaches and a couple analytics guys in here to give you some some good stats some good perspective so that was a lot of fun um great talking to you again as always chief's kingdom stay safe stay healthy and we'll talk to you next time